Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Today we're going to talk about something I think will be of, of great value to you, and I think it will be of, of high interest to you as well. When you hear the title of this, I told somebody this week what the title of my sermon was, and, and they, their eyes perked up, like, yeah, I'm all in on that. Today we're going to talk about how to pray the kind of prayer that God answers. You interested in that? You want to know how to pray so that God will answer your prayer? We're going to talk about that this morning. There are six steps in the, in the ninth chapter of Daniel. If you have your Bible, you want to open it to the, the book of Daniel. It comes right after Ezekiel in your, in your uh, uh, Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. And uh, Daniel chapter 9. And I've got six of these to get to. Uh, so don't want to let a lot of grass grow under my feet this morning. We're just going to jump right in. The, the first one of those is let God speak to me before I speak to him. That's step number one. Let God speak to me before I speak to him. This is about listening to the voice of God. You say, well, Brett, that's great. How do I do that? Well, we'll get to that in just a minute. I just want you to know that God always makes the first move in your direction. God is always the initiator. God is always the one who is, is making a move toward you, and, and you and I are always responding to God. God never expects you to make the first move. He always makes the first move. Scripture says we love because he first loved us. God loved you way before you ever loved him because God first served us. We serve because God first served us. He knew we were messed up. He knew we needed Jesus way before we knew we needed Jesus. We give to God because God first gave to us. Everything we have, our health, our, our breath, our intellect, our brain, everything we have has been given to us by God. God will never ask you to do something for him that he has not already done for you. God initiates we respond. That is true even in prayer. The reason we pray, the reason we talk to God is because God, first of all, talked to us in this book. And he told us what his heart was, and he told us what he thought about us. This is written over 3,500 years, 66 different authors, thousands of promises from God to you. And in prayer, what we do is we just basically claim those promises. And so prayer actually starts not with talking to God, but with listening. How do you listen to God? I've said this many times. My best praying isn't when I'm talking to God. My best praying is when God's talking to me. My best praying is when God is asking me questions. You know, we're pretty good about going to God and asking God questions, but when God starts asking me questions, that's when things really start happening in my life. You know, Brett, why are you frustrated by that? Why are you worried about that? Why... why why did you do that? You know that's not how I would want you to respond to that. Why did you respond that way? They're not fun questions to answer, but a lot of times that's where I find growth in my life, when God says, hey, you know, what's up with that? Logically, you need to talk to God. You need God, you need God to talk to you. Um, when God talks to you, then you're going to know how to pray, when to pray, what to pray, where to pray. Daniel did this. As we, as we see in Daniel chapter 9, that's where we're going to be today. Turn your Bible. Uh, Daniel's an old guy now. He's 85 years old. We, we first met Daniel. He was 15 and he was a prisoner of war, ripped out of his homeland in Israel, and he's taken off to a foreign land in Babylon. He spends 70 years of his life there. He serves three different kings. We, we've talked about this. He served Nebuchadnezzar, and then he was under a guy named Belshazzar for just a little brief minute. But Belshazzar was <clears throat> young and arrogant and, and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Impulsive. And he didn't last long, okay? He just, he offended God and God took him out. 
And then Darius the Mede came in, and that's the third king that Daniel will serve. Daniel knew that Jeremiah had prophesied, and he said, you're going to be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I'm going to bring my people back to Israel. Um, <clears throat> Daniel also knows that the people have kind of been rascals, and they haven't necessarily behaved themselves, and they haven't been very repentant. And so what Daniel's thinking is, you know, I know that our people have not been very good, and I'm afraid that God may just leave us here in Babylon forever and not ever take us back home. And so Daniel desperately wants to go home to Jerusalem before he dies. So we're going to pick up the story today in Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. It was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede. He's the new king who became king of the Babylonians. Now, just, just for your information, Babylon would have been modern-day Iraq, and then Persia would have been modern-day Iran. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word. If you have a pen, I would circle that. Learned from reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. You will never pray effectively until you do what that passage says, which is learn from the word of God. The more you know your Bible, the more you are going to have your prayers answered. If you are ignorant of the scriptures, you won't know how to pray, when to pray, what to pray. You won't know the promises that God has made to you that you can claim for your own. So you have to read this book so that you can learn the promises that God has made to you. John chapter 15 says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. He's talking about the Bible there. And you hear that and you think, well, Brett, it sounds like he just wrote a blank check. Well, kind of, sort of, he did. Um, it's, you know, it's when you're immature... When you're young or immature and you don't understand <clears throat> and certain things get said to you, your mind jumps ahead and you start writing checks, right? It's kind of like if you were to look at your kids and said, if you'd said to them, hey, I love you and I'll give you anything you need. Well, they hear that and they think, well, anything I need, I need 15 cases of chocolate, right? That's what they think. I need, and you know, as a parent, you can't give them 15 cases of chocolate. That's not good for them. That's not good. For, no, no <laughs> people going, no, that's good for me. Really? No, it is. If I'm praying and it doesn't really seem like anything's happening, I need to check and I need to ask, am I staying connected to God? If I'm connected to God, then some good things are going to happen for me. God, is there anything between me and you that is coming between us? Is there unrepentant sin? Have I done something to be offensive to you? Am I living my life in a way that makes you happy? Is our fellowship broken in some way? So stay connected to God. And, and the, the question that you ask is, are we in harmony Am I in harmony with God? That's a great question. He says, uh, you know, my word, is it, is it in your mind? Is it in your heart? If so, he says, <clears throat> ask anything you want. So if I'm not getting any answers, this is one of the first places I check. Now, last week I made the comment that Daniel prayed. The reason that he was so successful in his life is Daniel, his whole life, at least three times a day, was having a conversation with God. He did this every day of his life. He lives to be, a, we, we track him until he's 85 years old. And I asked the question last week, what do you think God would do in your life if you had that kind of prayer life? What would God show you? What would God teach you? How would your life be different if you spent, if three times a day, faithfully, you went to God and you had a conversation with God every day of your life, three times a day until you turned 85? Um, 
I mean, that's some really good praying. The battle to pray consistently, the battle to read your Bible consistently is one of the most important battles that you will face on a day-to-day basis. And the devil knows that if he can win that battle, he can win the war with you. If, if you can win this area, you can win the rest of the areas with the devil as well. See, the devil knows as long as he can keep you out of the Bible, and he knows as long as he can keep you from praying, that you're pretty easy to whip. You know, it's not hard. He can push you around. You will be manipulated by moods and critics. You will be manipulated by the approval of other people. You'll, be, you'll have fear and anxiety, and it'll paralyze you. But as you pray and read, your strength as a woman of God or as a man of God will increase. And we saw in, in, in verse 1 of chapter 9 that Daniel is reading something written by Jeremiah. Jeremiah and Daniel in the Old Testament, they are contemporaries. They lived at the same time. One lives in Babylon, and one is living back in the broken city of Jerusalem. When they came and raided the city, they took Daniel back to Babylon, but Jeremiah got left in Jerusalem. And so God tells him through Jeremiah, these guys are going to be here 70 years. Well, he actually tells Jeremiah that. They're going to be in Babylon for 70 years. Daniel reads what Jeremiah has written, and it it starts to dawn on him, hey, you know, (laughs) we're supposed to be getting ready to go home. And what he read was this out of Jeremiah. This may sound familiar to some of you. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Now, I, I, um, a couple of weeks ago, I had somebody come to me, and they said, Brett, I got a question for you. you. A couple of series ago, you did a series where you told us that the Old Testament was not written to us. I said, yes, that's, that's correct. I stand by that. The Old Testament was not written to us. It was written to the Hebrew people. So he said, but you've also been saying that there are all these promises in the Bible, and that those promises are made to us. That's true, but I didn't clarify. I didn't make myself clear, and that's really on me. I should have done a better job. Not every promise that is made in the Bible is made specifically to you. This is one of them. Um, We just read a passage that in all likelihood you have seen on a t-shirt or on a coffee mug or something because it's one of those verses that people have lifted from scripture, and it's a verse that we like to quote because it sounds great, and we want it to be true, and I believe it is true. That, that verse number 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to bring you a hope and a future. Now that's true, that was true, and that promise is made to the people, written, that's written to the people that are in Babylon. That's what God is saying to them. I have a plan for you. I'm going to prosper you. Now here's what I know. While that promise is not made specifically to me and you, God's heart is that way toward us. He could make a promise like that to us. He cares about us that much, but this particular verse was written specifically to these people in Babylon. Um, There's something that gets overlooked in this passage, however. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen. This is what God would say to you this weekend, I think. I made you for a purpose. I have a plan for your life, but it is not automatic. There is something that you need to do. Most people, 
miss God's plan and purpose for their life. One of the most frustrating things for me as a, as a pastor is to watch people who, want, who don't really want to hear God's voice in their life. Uh, I think some people are afraid that they're going to hear God's voice in their life. They, they're afraid God's going to call them to China or Indonesia or New, Papua New Guinea or something. They're like, I don't want God speaking to me, right? And so they just kind of shut themselves down to God, and they're not open to God's leading. They're not really thinking about what God wants them to do. And it's frustrating for me when I see people with great gifts, things that could be used for God, and they aren't being used. It's just it's a frustrating thing for me. There are two factors that are involved in your fulfilling your purpose in life. One of them is God's timing, and the other one is your praying or my praying. God's timing or our praying. Both of those have an important role in what God wants to do in your life. God's timing, when's he going to do it? And then your praying, when do you ask him to do it? Both of those are extremely important. Now, I said that what God said to Jeremiah for the people in Babylon was not necessarily written to us. Uh, It's a promise of God, but we were not the intended recipients of that promise. Uh, But what was said to the Jews living in Babylon can also be said of us. God says, I have a plan for your life, and I have a timetable. Those two things are true. I, I have both of those things. He is specifically said something to the Jews, though. He said, I'm not going to cut my plan short. You're going to be in Babylon for 70 years, and you're not coming back one day sooner than that. Okay, so God's communicating his timing. And then he says, when the plan is fulfilled and it's time for you to go back home, then you will have something that you need to do. You will need to pray, and when you pray, I will listen. That's what God promises. Now, this is a really important verse in the Old Testament because what we see are two things. We see God's sovereignty, which means he's in control. Even when it doesn't look like it, God is in control. I know sometimes these days you think, man, where is God? Is God even, does he know what's going on? God is in control. Uh, Two weeks from today, I'm going to start a new series called Sovereign. We're going to look at the sovereignty of God. We're going to talk about this. But the second thing I want you to see is our responsibility. We have something to do. God determines the timeline, but when the time is right, you still have to pray because he is not going to force his plan on you. You have to ask. James says you do not have because you do not ask. You're saying, Brett, are you telling me that there are certain things God wants to give me, but he doesn't give them to me because I don't ask? That's what I'm telling you. I'm telling you that there might be things that you really, really want that you've never really gotten serious and gone to God and asked him for those things, and because you haven't asked for those things, you're not getting them. And, and you say, well, why would he be that way? I mean, it just sounds like he's, he's, you know, it just sounds like he's just being hard to get along with. Why wouldn't he just, if he's got it, why wouldn't he just give it to me? That's because you don't understand the main thing that God wants from you. And what God wants from you more than anything is your faith. He wants you to have faith in him. He wants you to lean on him. He wants you to count on, trust in him. He wants you to talk to him. If you want something, he wants you to come ask for it. You know what, moms? Some of you have cookies in the cupboard. And it might not even, it's not on your mind at the moment to give cookies to your kids. You've got them. You could give cookies and milk in the middle of the day if you wanted to. But suddenly your, you know, your five-year-old comes in and says, Mommy, I want a snack. Could I have some cookies and milk? And depending on what time of day it is, and you know, you've got them there to give to your kids, right? That's why you buy them. So you think to yourself, or do you buy them for your husband? Is that why you, you buy them? That's probably why you buy them. But you think to yourself, you know, after they ask you and, and you go, well, of course, here's cookies and milk, right? That's what, that's, 
God will give things to us, but he wants us to ask for those things. Now, in case it hasn't hit you yet, you know, some of you are probably doing the math and you're going, wait a minute, Brett, there's a, there's a question that kind of lingers in the air. We've got a bit of a quandary here. The question lingers, how do I know when I'm waiting on God and how do I know when God's waiting on me? That's a great question. Brett, I have this dream for my life. I really think it's what God wants me to do, but it hasn't happened yet. So am I waiting on God or is God waiting on me? Here's the way I would answer that. If I've got something that I really, really want God to come through on, if there's something that I'm talking to God about and I'm kind of expectant and I'm looking for it and I'm wondering about it uh, and it hasn't happened, one of the first things that needs to happen is I need to start, and I know that there's, you know, I've dealt with my sin and I, there's no, I'm in harmony with God and there's nothing that's between me and God. If, I, if all that's clear, then I know I'm waiting on God. Right? If I've taken care of all my business, I've confessed what I need to confess, I'm, I'm a worshiper, I'm a follower of God, I'm trying to be locked into what he's got, and I'm praying these prayers and, and nothing's happening, then I'm waiting on God's timing. If, however, all that's true, and I, and I haven't heard an answer from God yet, um, then it might be that I've never asked God. Right? It's possible that sometimes... We, we think, well, I'd love to have that happen, and we, just, we don't think to just go to God and say, God, this is on my mind, this is something that I want, I really wish that you would give this to me, and it could be that God is just waiting on you, just waiting on you to wake up and ask him for the things that you want. But, but what, do you, you know, what do you really want in your life but you've never asked God for? If you could ask God for anything, what would you ask him for, but you've never asked him? You need to think about that. So number one, let God speak to me before I speak to him. Uh, number two, I focus my attention on God. Daniel chapter 9, verse 3, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him. Husbands, <clears throat> let me give you a pro tip, okay? Pro tip, we're a full-service church at Cross Lane. I'm Brett, my name's Brett, I'm your friend, I'm here to help, okay? Tell you the truth. This will help you with your wife. When your wife speaks to you, 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 listen to me, when your wife speaks to you, whatever you're doing, put it down, turn your face in her direction, and listen to what she says. Boy, would that solve a bunch of problems, right? Wouldn't that, yeah, that would solve a bunch of, wives everywhere are giving it this right now, right? <clears throat> And the worst thing that can happen is that you do all that and then not listen to her, right? Like you got to turn your face and then listen because the worst words that can come out of her mouth, if you haven't listened, what are they? What did I just say? If she asks you that and you can't tell her, you're in big trouble. Turn your face in her direction. You have, what you're saying is you have my undivided attention. Nothing is more important than you in this moment. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to be prioritized? Who doesn't want to be made to feel they really prioritize me? Your wife wants to know that she is so important to you that you will put down the computer, you will put down your phone, you'll put down the book, you'll put down the tools, and you will listen. You'll turn your face in her direction. Everybody wants that. Um, I remember, you know, I have to, <clears throat> this isn't in my notes, and I probably shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I was, I was I was listening, to, I was what, it was after church one Sunday, and everybody was gone <clears throat> except me and Tracy and Jeremiah. 
And, and Tracy, you know, Tracy gets a one-track mind sometimes, and he just gets into doing business. Like, he's just got a, he's got, in his head, he's got 40 million checklists. He's really good at keeping them all, and he's checking off the list. He's doing everything he's got to do to be able to go home. And I was walking behind him, and J- Tracy walks at a feverish pace anyway, and Jeremiah was right behind him. And he, Jeremiah very seldom stops talking. He talks all the time, Right. And he's just talk, 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 and he's saying this, and he's saying that, and Tracy is walking, and he's, he's doing the typical dad thing. Yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. He wasn't listening to Jeremiah at all. And I thought, well, that's, you know, we've all done that, right? Haven't we all done that? As a dad, I've done that. I was doing that to my daughter Delaney one time. She came into the room, she started talking to me, I had my computer in my lap. I really wasn't paying attention. I was giving her the uh-huhs and the yeahs, and yeah, maybe we'll do that, uh-huh. And she picked up, like, he's not listening to me. So she took matters into her own hands. She put my laptop on the, she picked it up and put it on the couch. She crawled up in my lap. She grabbed my face and she turned it. And she said, Daddy, I'm talking to you. Look at me, Daddy. Look at me, Daddy. She, you know, she wanted me to prioritize her in that moment. Dad, I need your attention. You're not listening to me. She wanted eye contact. She wanted attention. Listen, our attention is the best gift we can give somebody else. When you give someone else your attention, there's very few things you can give someone that means more to them than your time and attention. That's true of God. It's one of the highest gifts you can give is your attention. Turn your face to God. Amos says this, seek me and you will live. Not just exist, you'll live. Proverbs, I love those who love me, and those who seek me will find me. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. You say, Brett, that's Old Testament. Give me some, some Christian Bible stuff, Luke chapter 12. But seek God's kingdom, and all your other needs will, will be met as well. Do not seek fame or fortune or pleasure. Don't seek a husband or a wife. All these other things will be given to you, God says, when you seek me first. And if I'm in first place in your life, I bless people, God would say. I bless people who prioritize me with their attention and their life. You want to live, you want to be blessed by God? Make your life blessable. Make sure that he has your attention. Because basically what God says is if you don't want my attention, I don't go where I'm not invited. God is not going to go where he's not invited. It's possible that the pain you're in right now is the result of a decision you made because you didn't seek God's face, because you didn't pay attention to God. You know, we, we decide, hey, you know, I can't really afford it, but that car is really shiny, and I would look really cool in it, and I'm going to get that. And then we buy it, and we can't afford it. <laughs> And we have all this problem and we have all this lack of financial margin when if we had just talked to God about it and said, God, I'd really like to have this bright, shiny new car and I would look so cool in it. The, the, the phrase I use with God is, I could do the Lord's work so much faster in that car. But you pray that prayer, we're afraid to pray it because we're afraid, we're afraid that God's gonna say, no, not now. You don't need that right now. Maybe one day when your finances are a little better and you, you show some discipline, We can do something like that, but I'm not going to do that for you now. We don't want to, see, we operate on that premise. You ever heard somebody say it's easier to ask for for forgiveness than it is for permission? You ever heard that? Here's the problem with that. When you're asking forgiveness, you've probably already gone through some pretty severe consequences that could have been avoided had you just asked permission. 
That's, that's so true with God. You can ask God for forgiveness, but when you're asking God for forgiveness, chances are good you have so jacked something up and the pain that has been associated with that is so indescribable that if you had just asked permission and said, God, this is what I want. Do you think this would be okay? I would love to be going out with her. God, is that who I should be going out with? And God may know that she's a nutcase. He may know how it's all going to end up. And he says, no, you don't need to be going out with her. Now, a, a person who's giving God their full attention will understand and say, you know what, I'm not going to ask her out. A person who's just acting on impulse and I want what I want and I'm a three-year-old and I want it now is going to go out with that girl and he's going to find out. She's a nutcase. And her life, he's going to blow up your life and then you're going to have all kinds of problems. What are you really looking for in life and are you willing to seek God for it? Do you talk to God about the big decisions in your life? God, we're going to buy this house. God, we're going to move to this place. We're going we're to do this thing. Do you talk to God about those things? Step three in a prayer that gets answered, express my desires with emotion. We often say our prayers, and when we say our prayers, we use the same lines over and over. I want to encourage you to try to get away from that. It's an easy thing to do. Um, I find myself doing it as well. I'm constantly trying to refresh my prayers. I'm tr constantly trying to find new ways to say old things to God. I want God to understand that I'm emotional and that I mean what I'm saying. You know, there's certain phrases that we've just come to, we, we just know those phrases. Like, you know, we bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies. I mean, it sounds great, doesn't it? And it's true. God, would you please bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies? But that prayer that's not, that thing's been so used, figure out a different way to say it. You know, um, bless, Lord, bless the gift and the giver. I mean, that sounds great, but that thing's been so overused. I find myself saying things over and over again, and I'm trying to break myself of that habit. I heard my pastor one time in a conversation with a, a, a friend of his, and this was a long time ago, and they said, they said, L.D., um, I'm, I'm praying that God will bless me in this area. And LD said, well, when, what do you mean bless? You're praying for God to bless you in that area. And the person went on to give great detail about what it would be for God to bless them in a particular area. And LD said, then pray that. Pray that. Stop praying, bless me, and get specific. Attach some emotion to the things that you're praying. Don't just, you know, we get in such a hurry we, 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 the one place where we should just lose all track of time is when we're praying and we're just talking to God and we get in detail and we're specific and we're just laying things out for God. Um, there's no emotion a, a lot of times attached to our prayers. I think God cares way more about the emotion attached to our words than he does necessarily the words that we're using. Um, you are an emotional being. You were created in the image of God. God is emotional. You say, Brett, God's emotional? Yes. God gets angry. I think God gets sad. I think God sees abuse in the world. I think he sees injustice in the world, and it makes him sad. I think he watched his son die on a cross, and it broke his heart. He watches us sin, and it just it tears God up to watch us sin. God is emotional about you. He doesn't just say, oh, I love you. That's not how God is with you. God loves you passionately, deeply. He has feelings for you. If you want to know how much God loves you, just look at the cross. Because what you see on the cross is God's love for you, stretched out on the cross. 
Does tone make a difference? You can bet your bottom dollar that tone makes a difference. I want to show you a picture. This is my daughter, Delaney. She recently became engaged. This is Jonathan, her, my soon-to-be son-in-law. And um, he proposed to her. He, he sought her hand in marriage. He called me. They live in Atlanta. He called me and said, uh, Mr. Wilson, I would love to marry your daughter. And he was, it was great. It was, all the, it was all the anxiety and nervousness I could have ever wanted out of that conversation, right? <laughs> just milked the whole thing for about five seconds. And then I said, dude, it's me. Okay, just drop that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Just stop it with the sir. It's just Brett, okay? And we had a great talk. And so I gave him permission, and I didn't know when, but I knew it was coming soon. And then one day I saw this picture. So I knew I was going to be having this talk with you about, about attaching emotion to your words. And so I, I thought, you know, I wonder exactly what he said to her. So I called him this week. I sent him a text and said, hey, when you get a minute, call me. I, want, I got something I want to ask you. Well, instantly, phone rings. And, and uh, I said, hey, um, Jonathan, first of all, one of the first things you need to understand is now that you are going to be a part of the Wilson family, that means you are subject to being used in sermon illustrations. So he said he was cool with that. I said, I need to know what you said to my daughter when you were on your knee proposing to her. And he, he, guys, he's just ruining the curve for the rest of us. And I told him, I told him this. Um, he said, well, he said, this is what I said. He said, I said, he said, Delaney, most people spend their whole life looking forward to their wedding day and, and dreaming about their wedding day. And he said, there's nothing wrong with that. But what I've always dreamed of is the day that I would propose to my future wife. And I can't think of anybody that I would rather propose to than you. Really? Really? I mean, dude, you're killing me. You're killing the rest of us, right? He didn't say, hey, I was wondering if you wanted to get married. That's not what he did. You know what this dude did? He gave those, those uh, portable, those little, like, Instamatic cameras you can go buy. He bought a bunch of those and gave them to everybody that would be in their life on that day and gave them all cameras. This picture, I think, might have been taken with one of those. I'm not sure. It's an awfully good picture. I don't, maybe not. But, but I've seen some of those pictures, and they were fantastic. I told him, I said, dude, you are ruining the curve for everybody else. But he's, he's showing her emotion. He's looking her in the eyes. He's on his knee. He's serious. This is a big moment. Delaney, I love you. Would, you. would you be my wife? Would you be with me for the rest of my life? Big moment. He didn't yawn his way through that. He showed some emotion. One of my favorite movies, I would put this movie in my top five for sure, is What About Bob? Who has seen What About Bob? I love What About Bob. There's, I, I, Dee Dee just watches me and I, I quote the whole movie. She's like, okay, you stop now. You're weird. But if you don't know, What About Bob is a movie about a, a guy who's a hypochondriac and he thinks he needs, he, he does need therapy, but he goes to a therapist and he keep, no therapist wants to meet with Bob because he wears them all out. Like he just, he, they can't keep up with him. And he, he runs one guy out of the business and that last guy that he runs out of the business turns him over to a new therapist. He goes to this new therapist who's played by Richard Dreyfus. What about Bob? Bob is uh, Bill, uh, Bill Murray. And so he goes to Richard Dreyfus's character, um, and he, he meets with him, and then it's in that meeting that he's told that the doctor is going to be going away for a month. 
this freaks Bob out because Bob thinks he needs counseling every week. And he, he can't even think of, he can't fathom that he wouldn't meet with his doctor every week. So he asks the doctor where he's going. The doctor wisely doesn't tell him. Um, the doctor goes to, turns out, Lake Winnipesaukee, somewhere up north. And, and he's having a vacation with his family. And Bob, through a series of events, figures out where the doctor has gone on vacation and takes a Greyhound bus with his pet goldfish gill that he wears around his neck. It's crazy. And he shows up in Lake Winnipesaukee to talk to his therapist. And you can imagine the therapist is not happy about it. And he tells him to go home, tells him he won't meet with him. And this is Bob trying to talk the doctor into meeting with him. What I want you to pick up on is the urgency, the, the way, how emotional he gets with his doctor. You, I got it. You got to do this. Watch this clip. Not, not see patients on vacation ever. How many ways can I make that clear? Now, what I'd like you to do is to get on this bus and go back to New York. I can't. I'm totally paralyzed. I'm all locked up. You got yourself here. Barely. Well, getting back will be therapeutic. But can't we just have a little talk? Bob, you are testing my patience. Come on, I've come so far. Bob. I'm baby-stepping. I'm, I'm doing the work. I'm baby-stepping. I'm not a slacker. Check it out. Look at I'm in really bad shape. Come on, please. Bob. Please. Bob. Give me, give me, give me. I need, I Bob. need, Bob. I need, I need. Bob. Give me, give okay. me. Okay. Please. All right, all right, please. all right. When was the last time in prayer that was you. Gimme, 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 gimme. I need, I need, God, I need this. I, I'm letting you know. I'm not messing around. I need this. We complain that God doesn't take care of us sometimes and give us things, but we don't often get, pour ourselves out like Bob is to that doctor. Like, gimme. Daniel chapter 9, verse 3. I turn to the master God asking for an answer, praying earnestly fasting from meals, wearing rough burlap, and kneeling in the ashes. I poured out my heart, bearing my soul to God. When was the last time you bared your soul to God and you just poured yourself out there and like it was a matter of extreme urgency? Daniel is pouring out his heart. God, I want to go home. Jeremiah predicted that this would be the case. He predicted that they would cry out to go home. We read this in Jeremiah. In those days, at that time, God's decree, the people of Israel will come and the people of Judah with them, walking and weeping, they will seek me their God. They'll ask directions to Zion and set their faces toward Zion. They'll come and hold tight to God. America needs to do that right now. You may need to do that right now. Start back home. God answers that kind of prayer. When God's people come together and they join together through tears, through their weeping, through their sorrow, through their repentance and their unity, God answers those kinds of prayers. Here's a question. Is there anything in the world that bugs you so much and breaks your heart that you would talk to God about it like that? Is there anything that so moves you that you, you would carry it with extreme urgency to God? God, you got to show us the way. you got to take care of this for us. Express your desire with deep emotion. Number four, demonstrate my seriousness. It's very much like the third one. Demonstrate my seriousness. When you're praying about something, you need to signal to God that you are serious about it. Say, Brett, how do I do that? In the next part of this verse, Daniel mentions three ways that he signals 
his seriousness to God. Two of those I don't think we do anymore. I don't, think they're, I don't know that if they're practiced anywhere in the world. Maybe they are, and I don't know it, but I don't think they are. And then the other one is a spiritual discipline that has been going on for years, and we still do it today. Daniel chapter 9, verse 3. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. Now let's talk about sackcloth and ashes for just a minute. Um, this was done to show heartfelt sorrow or repentance. You would put on sackcloth, which was made of black goat's hair, really itchy, um, sticky, uncomfortable to put it on. It's just put it on, you just instantly want to take it off. And then they would, they would put on sackcloth, and then they would sit in ashes. And they would grab the ashes up with their hands, and they would throw it up on their hair and up on their head. They would put on sackcloth and ashes. This was a, a level of debasement. They were trying to reach humility. They were trying to show God how serious they were. Fasting is something that is still done today, although it drives me nuts. Marketers have seized on this word fasting, and you hear the word fasting today in a way that it should not be used, and I want to correct it in here. Fasting is not when you stop eating. Okay, We call that you stopped eating. That's what that is. Fasting is when you stop eating, and instead of eating in that time, you pray instead. You use the time that you would eat, and instead, you pray. What are you doing when you do that? You're showing God, God, I'm really serious about this. I'm so serious about this that I'm going to pass up one of the three meals that I eat in a day just to spend time with you and show you that this matters to me. Now, most of the time, it's food, but there's a place in the Christian Bible where, where Paul's writing and he, he refers to a sexual fast between a married couple where they would, they would abstain from sexual intercourse for a time and they would, that's a, he call, refers to it as a fast to which all the dudes in the room right now are going, that would show my seriousness right there, right? If you're going to abstain and you're going to pray, God, I'm serious about it. Would you please listen to what I'm saying? Jesus, when he was getting ready to do a miracle, he said, this is so serious, this one only happens by prayer and fasting. Why? It was serious. When you're willing to go without food to connect to your God about something that is on your mind, that shows God you are super serious about it. Moses fasted. The Israelites fasted. Daniel fasted. Nehemiah fasted. Jesus fasted. The early Christians fasted. You are simply saying, God, I want to demonstrate my seriousness to you. The fifth thing, that the fifth step in a prayer that God answers is this. I thank God for his love and promises. Two things that, that are really are the essence of Christianity is gratitude and humility. Those two things, I think, are the two most important things to any Christian, should be. Gratitude and humility. One leads to the other. When you have gratitude, it leads to humility. And you see that in the steps we're taking. The last step was I demonstrate my seriousness. I, you know, I show God this is serious. And now I'm going to thank God for his promises. And then here in just a minute, you're going to see some humility. I thank God for his love and promises. When you ask God for something, ask with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving should be the attitude of your entire life. It's the, I think it's the calling card of every believer. These days, if I'm praying, I'm usually doing one of two things when I'm praying. I'm praying for you. Because a lot of times you ask me to pray for you, and when you do, I try really hard to remember 
and to pray specifically for what it was we talked about and, and try to pray in a way that, that God will hear my prayer and, and help you and do what you need done, um, whatever's best for you. So I'm praying for you, or I'm confessing my sin, which that's a full-time job because I'm jacked up, right? So, you know, God, I'm a mess. I'm sorry. I'm trying here, but I'm, you know me, and I'm, I'm, I want to do better, and I'm trying. Or I'm giving thanks for things that he has already done for me. What I've found, discovered, is I really pay attention. I'm not really asking God to do much for me these days. That's, I, don't, I very seldom pray prayers about, God, would you give that to me? Or, God, can I do this? Or, I don't, my prayers don't go there. My prayers are about you. My prayers are about confession. And my prayers are about thanksgiving. God, you have been so good to me. How could I ask you for anything? God, if I died today, if I died today, you have given me a full life. I have had great people in my life. I have got great experiences. You let me pastor a church, God. I'm full. You don't have to do anything more for me. I'm perfectly content. I'm happy. Thanksgiving should be the calling card of the life of every believer. Daniel reminds himself of how good God is. Lord, you are a great God who causes fear and wonder. You keep your agreement of love with all who love you and obey your commands. You are faithful when I'm not. I'm flaky, Lord, but you are not. But Lord our God, you show us mercy and forgive us even though we have turned against you. God, I'm grateful that you are loving and merciful and forgiving. Step number six, once you're grateful, the next step is humility. I humbly confess my sins. Now, to confess is just to admit. In Greek, the word confess is really two Greek words put together. It's homo logeo. Homo logeo. You may, you may even be able to pick out those two words and kind of know kind of where it's going. Homo meaning same. It's the same. You know, homo, same. And then logeo is that word from which we get logo or logos. It's, it's, it's associated with a word or a graphic of some kind. And when you put those two words together, it's to speak the same. So homo logeo would be to speak the same. That's what confession is. So when you confess, what you're saying is, God, I agree with you. I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need, I need Christ's blood covering over my life. I, I need you. I can't do this without you. I agree with you in that. God responds to humility with blessing. But God says, I oppose the proud. That's what the scriptures say. God is opposed to the proud. I, I would just offer you this. This is free. I'm a full-service pastor. This is a full-service church just trying to help you out. Anytime you're told that God opposes a specific behavior would be a good idea to stay away from that behavior. And God says, I am opposed to the proud. Now, what I want to do for the remainder of my time is I want to read to you some scripture. It's going to be fairly lengthy. The, the standard response to that is, okay, Brett's reading scripture. I'm going to turn off now. I can go to sleep. No, I want you to stay locked in. Because what I want you to hear is I want you to hear him confessing. I want you to hear how specific he is. All right? So don't go to sleep on this. This is important. Stay with me through this. We're almost done, okay? We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. 
Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he has given us through his servants, the prophets. We have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. What he's saying there is people have been making fun of us in other lands. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Now, how does God respond to a prayer like that? How does God respond to a person who prays these six steps that I just showed you? I want to show you. Daniel chapter 9, verse 20. I went on praying, which means he didn't just stop here. He kept going. I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, pleading with the Lord my God for Jerusalem, his holy mountain. As I was praying, Gabriel, whom I had seen in an earlier vision, came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. So Gabriel shows up. That's pretty serious when Gabriel shows up. He explained to me, Daniel, I have come here to give you insight and understanding. Check this out. The moment you began praying, a command was given. And now I am here to tell you what it was, for you are very precious to God. There it is. You are very precious to God. God would say that to you this morning. You are very precious to me. Listen carefully so that you can understand the meaning of your vision. That is exactly what God would say to you. You're precious to me. You say, Brett, I'm not Daniel. He's talking to Daniel. I know, I know. But I know that this prayer will work for you the same way it worked for Daniel. And the reason I know that is that the formula in this prayer is given elsewhere in Scripture, and it is given for everybody. It's not just written to Daniel. It's written for everybody. This is one of the most famous promises in the entire Bible. And before I read it, I just want to touch on the fact that it is also one of the most misunderstood and most misquoted verses of Scripture. You've seen this. um, You've probably seen this on a plaque or something. I've heard politicians hijack this verse and try to apply it just to America. This verse, it could apply to America, but it could apply to anybody, any cult country where there are believers in God. This is 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. It's going to be familiar to you. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves, that's confession, and pray, that's that pleading we were talking about, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I, he says, if you will do four things, I will do three things. The four things, humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, I will heal their land. I don't know what kind of healing you walked in here this morning needing, whether it's a healing of your mind or your heart or your body, or your business, or your finances, or your relationships, or your fears, or your family, or your marriage. I don't know what you came in here this morning needing to have healed. 
If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, I blew it, Lord. I simply blew it. I let you down. And pray, God, I'm pleading. I'm begging you. And seek my face. God, you've got my attention. I am looking at you. You have my undivided attention. And turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins. And I will heal their land. Our country needs this. We need this. That's how you pray a prayer that God will answer. Now, before we close, um, I just want to tell you two things. First of all, I have to be in central Kentucky <laughs> by mid-afternoon. <laughs> so as soon as I say amen, I'm walking out the door, getting in my car, and I'm beelining it to Kentucky. Um, have a funeral service this afternoon that I have to get to and, and perform. So I will not be in the back to greet you. I love you. Just know that. Uh, second thing is, normally at the end of the service, you stand and we all sing. But um, I'm going to pray here in a minute, and as I do, uh, Shelby's going to come out. She's going to end this morning with a song that I just want you to listen to. I just want you to stay in your seat and just let these words, part of it is someone singing to God, and then at the end of the song, it's God singing over them. And I just hope that that uh, speaks to you. I've heard this song. It's beautiful. So let's pray together. Father, this is our prayer. It's our prayer for our families. This is our prayer for our church, for our city, for our nation. God, we humble ourselves. We seek you. We beg you. Heal the things that need to be healed. Heal our marriages. Heal our homes. Heal our children. Heal sicknesses. Heal hearts. Father, we are on our face worshiping you and only you. You are our God and we are your people. Nothing comes between us. We lift you. We highly exalt you. God, we beg you, give us what we need. Show us the way. Help us in our gratitude to, to give to other people, to take care of those who don't have as much. Help us in our gratitude to come back and say thank you. And Father, as we find gratitude in our life, may we also find humility and realize that we are nothing without you. Oh, Father, what great gifts you have given to us. We pray all this in the precious, glorious, beautiful name of Jesus.